0: I'm going to make my business around women, even though I think it's easier to help men build a business because they're more ambitious and have less money mindset issues. It is my purpose. I was put on this earth to do this and then we got to do what we got to do.
1: You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a
2: meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb.
1: Hey hey everyone, Annie Dickerson here together with the fabulous Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm really good. How about you? I am fantastic. We are in Sedona, as you know. We've been here for about a week now, almost a week, and wow. just love, you know, we were just talking about uh, podcasting on the road, and mm-hmm. so, right, you know, you, you got to work with what you got. This is what I love about traveling. When we traveled when the our kids were babies, you know, what I loved about traveling was that it makes things so you know, you have to fly by the seat of your pants every day, you know? So we changed the baby's diapers on the hood of a car once or in a parking lot, <laughs> like on the floor of a bathroom, like you just wow. have to work with what you got. And then you get yep. home and mm-hmm. you're like, Oh my gosh, parenting is so easy. I got a, home, oh, yeah. I got the dresser. I've got, everything's already set up for me. What am I complaining about? And so you know, now with, you know, currently as I'm podcasting right now, I've got the mic in a drawer of the nightstand balanced <laughs> on my knee. And so when I go home, i am be like, man, I have this whole, you know, home office. What am I complaining about? I got this nice setup, but wow. you know, being on the road is always just so fun. Everything's always up in the air.
2: Yeah. Well, especially being on the road with kids and especially being on the road with young kids is the tricky part because even like just actually, yeah, last night I was thinking, you know, when we hop on the road here in a month, I was, I'm, you know, I'm going down my list of like all the different things we need. And I was like a stool. I'm going to need a stool. Do you ever do that when you're like on the road with the kids? It's <laughs> like, there's nothing. They can't reach a thing and everything is mommy, oh, mommy, yes. mommy. I can't reach mm-hmm. it. You got to get it for me. So I went on Amazon and I bought a $10 little stool that's like this little foldable thing that'll just fit Mm -hmm. right under the chair in the car. So it's not even like extra luggage, but that is just like the one thing that can make, you know, it's like these little things, these, like you're saying, these conveniences of like home and comfort and things that make it easier, especially with kids. So totally understand that.
1: (laughs) That's so smart. You know, like- multiple places here. I was like, if only we had something the kids could stand on. Totally going to take that tip and get a stool (laughs) for the next trip. Love that. Well, our guest today, this is a fabulous conversation with Sigrun. She is a leading mentor for business mentor for female online entrepreneurs in Europe. She is a TEDx speaker, and she's the host of the Sigrun show podcast, which now has over 400 episodes. And And she has just such an inspiring journey where she knew from an early age, she wanted to be a leader. She's a middle child. She talks a little bit about that and the antics that she got into to sort of get attention. And then she got into, you know, she got into business and she became a CEO at a very young age and really learned the ropes of how to turn a business around and then eventually took that And started her own online business where she now coaches women entrepreneurs and really helps them scale from having no business at all to really empowering them to six, seven figure businesses and even beyond.
2: It was so awesome because towards the end of the middle end-ish of the show, we got to tap her brain and tell us exactly how to start a business. And it was so awesome. She basically gave us a blueprint for how someone can start an online business with absolutely no followers at all and how then we talked about how to scale that business. So if you're already somebody out there who, you know, has a six-figure business and you're trying to make it to that seven-figure mark, what are the things that you need to do and she gave us so much good insight there. But, you know, having a blueprint like that is, you know, what you sometimes pay thousands of dollars
1: to get. So it was a great episode for sure. Indeed. And the blueprint she goes through is so You know, it goes against a lot of what the common conventional wisdom is out there. And we love that because we've been through that same exact process and we know Mm -hmm. that what she's talking about, that blueprint works. And so for all our listeners, definitely listen in for that section of the conversation that is gold. And so, whether you are learning to start your own business or you're learning to invest in real estate, it's all essential components of a life by design. So, if you are new to the field of real estate, especially passive investing through real estate syndications, a great place to start is to get a copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good. And we have a free hardcover copy for all of our listeners. Just go to goodegginvestments.com forward slash book. And with that, let's go ahead and dive into our conversation with Sigrin. Sigrun, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. We are thrilled to have you here today with us. Now, Sigrun, you have an extraordinary story in that you knew from a young age that you wanted to be a leader. And then you went on to study architecture, but you quickly fell in love with technology. And before you even finished your degree, you had been promoted to CEO of a software company. So start by taking us back to that time and maybe even start back earlier when you were a little girl. What drew you to leadership so early in life? And did you always feel inside that you were maybe destined to do great things?
0: I think so. I don't know exactly how and when, but I think a part of it is also that I'm a middle child. And when you're a middle child, you have to kind of like, you know, do something extraordinary so that your parents (laughs) know that you still exist. Right. (laughs) Hello, I'm still here. Hello, I'm still here. You know, you're not the first one. You're not the last one. You're in the middle. And on top of that, I was a pretty good student. So my mother would be more worried about my sister or brother doing their homework than me. So uh, it's kind of interesting how that has also kind of made me excel even more in life is guess, uh, you know, tension. Give me some attention. Mm -hmm. And it starts as a child, and it's funny how you can see that as a grown-up, how that kind of started it all. But yeah, there are stories that, you know, when I was five-year-old, going to some sort of event for, you know, with uh, Santa Claus, and there was a stage and little band, and I would run up to the stage and see if I could sing a song, and I cannot even sing, so it's great when you don't have these restrictions that we have as grown-ups. you know. I would dare to even sing a song at home in the shower because I know I can't sing. But as a child, you just, you don't know, you don't care, uh, you're not too worried. And then as we grow up, we get so worried what everybody thinks and everything. But yeah, I think as a child, I was quite a, a free spirit in that mind. I had no problem standing out. I think as I grew up, I see phases, pictures of myself in photo albums where I totally fall into the crowd. I wear the clothes that everybody else wears. And then there's another period of me wearing huge orange earrings and wearing, you know, clothes like, do you remember these clothes were like it looks like a skirt, but it's actually pants? You oh,
1: know, yes. there's
0: mm-hmm. you know, kind of there were faces where I had no problem sticking out, and there were other phases where I totally wanted to disappear into the crowd. And I think uh, through my grown-up life, I've had that too. And I think around uh, 34, four five, I did an executive MBA. And then I had this revival of like, hey, I'm going to get new clothes. And I don't worry if I stand out in my class where everyone was wearing a suit. And I showed up in a red dress and Jimmy shoes. And I'm like, I'm just going to be this free spirit that I was as a child. And people are asking me, how old are you? And I'm like, what do you think? 27. I'm like, yes.
1: That's amazing. So it sounds like as a child, you were just naturally this free spirit and bold and courageous and just out there and you wanted people to see you and you wanted to stand out. And somewhere along the way, as we all do, right, you get lost in the shuffle and you get a little bit fearful and, but you still had a lot of success studying architecture. You were CEO of multiple companies and had multiple degrees And so by that time that you went to go get the executive MBA, what had transpired in that time and what led you to get that degree?
0: Yeah, the fact that I had become a CEO and I ran first a small company, only 15 employees. You know, I asked for the job without business experience and business education. The investor that owned the company thought this was such a bold move. So he hired me. And I used Common Sense. It was a software company. that developed their own CMS and we did websites. It's a pretty basic, like you control everything. You both create the software and then you deliver it. There is no stock. There is no vendors. There is no complicated business processes. It's a fairly simple company to run. And it had been losing money for seven years. I turned it around in 11 months and I thought, well, I'm pretty good at this. So when I was asked to come to another company and do a turnaround, I'm like, sure, I can do that. Well, that company had uh, stock and they had products that had been lying around for months and not, you know, they were not moving so fast. There was a purchasing department. There was a shop like B2C. There was a B2B. There was a workshop where we repaired things. You know, suddenly, basically you're running five different businesses And this was a little bit too much for someone, you know, I was 33, 34. I had just run one company before, no business education. And I'm like, I'm in over my head. And my boss, still the same investor said, no worries, I'll help you. We'll do regular meetings. That didn't happen. This company had also been in minors for a long time. And the owners had given up they owned other businesses. And this was just like the bad apple. And they were like, Oh, we hired this woman. She seems to be a promising upcoming CEO. And they dumped the shit on me, basically. And (laughs) I was just trying to get out again. I learned so much. But I finally like, I was like, you have to sell this impossible task. It's been losing money too long. And if I fire one more person here, we have to close down the workshop. If I fire one person there, I have to close down the shop. So it was the company had to completely change, and I was not experienced enough to kind of like let's do stop the shop, let's stop this. Like you needed someone with a lot more experience to take those bold decisions. Uh, but I did, you know, several good things. I was able to get some money, people to pay us money that has owed us money for a long time. I simplified our stock, the purchasing department, I overhauled. And I was just reading books and Googling in the evening, I can tell you. (laughs) I was just learning business on the fly. And I was probably doing like what you call a crash MBA degree without actually getting the degree. And when I finally got out of the situation after 15 months, we sold it to another company. I said to my boss, now you're paying for a proper MBA, because I'm not going to find myself in the same situation again.
1: Oh, my. Yeah, it sounds, uh, you know, I think from what I've learned about entrepreneurship, you know, a big part of it is resourcefulness, which you discovered as well, and then persistence. And so it sounds like, you know, you were in the situation, but instead of giving up like the owners had and saying, you know what, this company just, you know, I can't do it you decided, you know what, I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going to try to meet with this person. I'm going to try to Google it. I'm going to read books. I'm going to try things. And you, lo and behold, you were able to turn it around. And I think that's the mark of a great leader is that whatever situation you're thrown into, you sort of, you figure it out. And so then, okay. So you get your executive MBA and so by this point, how many degrees had you had? Because I know you pursued multiple master's degrees. And so what had you studied along the way? You started with architecture and then yeah. what other degrees did you get along the way?
0: Uh, right after architecture, I got a job at the computer science faculty at the Technical University in Kalschwe, south of Germany. And because... As I was preparing for my final thesis in architecture, my interest in architecture had already disappeared. And I was interested in technology and online, you know, websites and all that stuff. And I guess part of it was luck, but part of me was looking for opportunities. And I was hanging around the computer science department, and they offered me to do a thesis at the computer science department. But it would be granted as a thesis as the architecture department. So I did a 3D multi-user campus where you could walk around and create seminar rooms for the students. Of course, it was totally utopian, you know. It has taken now 30 years. I'm actually invited to a, uh, you know, 3D party next week. And I had to write an invitation, you know, back to the host. I'm like, I was doing this over 30 years ago, but of course the technology, our computers and people were not ready. And now we can imagine 30 years, it's crazy. So after getting this offer to work at the computer science faculty to continue my thesis, basically, they were like, hey, bring this project over to us. I realized that academia was not for me. I was in a cellar. There was like a window up there. I could not see out. And the guy that was working with me there, he said, well, your tool that you have developed only works for Netscape. Now we have to make sure it works for Internet Explorer as well. And I'm like, are you serious? Because, you know, I'm an idea person. I'm a visionary. I'm a strategic person. Don't give me a task like that. It completely like, that will kill me because I'm like, I've got the idea already. It works. Someone else, (laughs) make sure it works in some other browsers. So at this time, I'm taking my project around. It was quite, you know, disruptive, new. Mm-hmm. And I was invited to speak at several conferences around Europe. And at one conference, a professor from Zurich, Switzerland, ETH, it's similar to MIT, but based in Europe, Switzerland. So comes up to me, invites me to come to Switzerland on a scholarship to do a one-year, it's like a pre- PhD study. So it's like a one-year program, quite intense. And I did basically computer-aided architectural design. I called it a Nach Diplom, the College After Masters, but you know, I really got like a second master's degree from that. It was an amazing program. We were four students with a professor. And you know, it was like very utopian that you get so much attention. And I was there on a scholarship. So I'm like, well, why not? Give me all these ideas. And reading books that I would never have read, even listening to music I would never have listened to. So that was another great way to get to know different part of the world. And after that, I had lost both my grandmothers during the whole time. I was in Germany and Switzerland, so I moved back to Iceland. And there I started to study computer science on the side before I eventually got the CEO job and thought, computer science, okay, now I need a business. But I finished the computer science. When I realized I'm going to do an executive MBA, I looked how many courses do I still need to take? And I think it was February or March and school had started in January or the term. I went to a professor that was kind of my, you know, the professor I would go to if I had some issues. And I said, I know I'm a little bit late. The term is like, you know, you're already 30% in. Can I catch up? Because I want to graduate in the summer. She said, go ahead. So I did two, two or three courses and I wrote my thesis in the summer and I graduated the day I started my executive MBA. Oh.
1: There's two things I want to pull out of that, that story, which is one, when I think back 30 years, and i remember my dad doing his thesis he was studying sociology on a like a this giant home computer with floppy disks there were no colors on the screen it was just green and there was a cursor blinking and that was it so to be able at that point to create this 3D environment is just, it's nothing short of miraculous, one, and it's very incredibly visionary. And so it sounds like that was something that carried through as you went into these CEO roles. Then the other thing is with every all these fields, right? Academia, computer science, being the CEO of these companies, It seems like in most cases, it was a male-dominated field, and you were coming in as a woman. And so talk to us a little bit about that, because I know that's one of your passions now is helping and inspiring other female entrepreneurs. So tell us what that experience was like, maybe being one of the only women in the room in many cases.
0: Well, it kind of just happened gradually because I was interested in technology more than architecture. I think in architecture, it would mix. We were 50-50 there. But then when I got interested in technology, suddenly it's 10%, 20%, 30% if you're lucky. And But it fitted me very well. I even talk about it with my husband that I have a lot of male energy and he has uh, female energy. It doesn't mean he's less masculine. It is just like who we are, the way we are. I'm very driven, ambitious, and I you know, things that some women might be interested in. I'm like, I'm not, like, I don't do my nails. I don't care if the hairdresser has closed in a lockdown. I go once a year, and have my hair cut. You know, I have done my nails, but it's not like, I really don't care. This doesn't bother me at all. I like to dress up. I have nice clothes. I have, you know, fancy shoes and handbags, but I guess I'm not as girly as some women. And so coming into a male-dominated world where there wasn't so much discussion about these girly things, actually, I was like, this is quite refreshing. I like it. <laughs> I don't need that talk. It doesn't bring me anything. And it's even today, if I'm invited to a party and I see a group of women and a group of men, I'm like, who do I go to? If I want to talk business, I wouldn't go to the group of women, sadly, because if I want to talk business and, you know, how do we invest even, that's not the group that would be talking about it. They're talking about a spa and I'm like, well, I, I don't want to go to a spa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not that I don't do those things. You know, I'm definitely a, a woman and I like these things, but it just doesn't consume me as much. And I am, I've always wanted, you know, to move forward, to make progress, whatever that progress is. And I gravitate towards people that do that. So being in a business where it's mostly men didn't bother me at all. But I started to think about, okay, what can I do? So when I was, became a CEO finally and had bigger decision power, I was like, okay, there are 30% women here. How can we make it 50? Or how can we even make it 30? Uh, so I was trying to hire programmers, female programmers. That was very hard. And when I hired some, it turned out they were sometimes not as good as a man. It's not because women are not as smart. The reason is more that the guys went home and in the evening they did another website for their uncle. Women went home and they were taking care of their kids or they met other girlfriends and went to the cinema. It you know, men and women are equally smart or intelligent or whatever, but it, it, it's important. What do you do outside work? What do you do on your holiday? What are you interested in? And if your interest or what you do outside work benefits the business, then it's going to make you better. And it's just, on the other hand, project managers, I would hire women any time of the day because they're more diligent, more consensual, like they, are more detail oriented. I know I'm very generalizing and this. Somebody might be hurt hearing this, but this was my experience. So I tried to do as much as I could to hire more women in. And I've always been an advocate for that, but it wasn't until I started my business. I was really like, I'm going to make my business around women, even though I think it's easier to help men build a business because they're more ambitious and have less money mindset issues. It is my purpose. I was put on this earth to do this and then we got to do what we got to do.
1: We'll get back to our conversation with Sigrin in just a minute.
3: Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals.
1: And now, back to our chat with Sigrin. So I'm curious. I want to learn more
2: about, I know that you at one point transitioned from the regular W-2 life into being an entrepreneur. You went through some things and you realized that becoming an entrepreneur was the path forward for you. And I know a lot of our listeners could be in a similar spot as you, where they may be evaluating making that transition, as Annie and I did a few years ago. Talk to us a little bit about that. What was that like? What was the catalyst for all of that? And, you know, was it scary? Like, what were the things that you went through when you were making that transition? And how did you, were you able to do it successfully?
0: Yeah, I think it was in the back of my head for a long time. And I think that probably is the same for most people that eventually jump. It's like, it's not something you're like, oh, I should be an entrepreneur. And then you do it the next day. It could be years where you're thinking about it. You're possibly reading books, going to conferences, listening to podcasts. And then one day something happens. It might be a click in your head. But for me, becoming a CEO and having a boss that left me alone, it was almost as if I owned the company. So my entrepreneurial kind of wishes were like, granted, I didn't even need to take the risk of starting a company. I had a company. But of course, you know, at some point I was not no longer worth working for that particular investor that was so nice to me or believed in hands off delegating. And I found myself I had moved to Switzerland right after executive MBA. I you know met my husband. I decided, well, I've done I worked several jobs in Iceland where I was a CEO and my new bosses were not so nice. I'm like I'm going to get fired, I'm going to leave. And I was like Why not go to Switzerland? And it took me six months to get a job. And then I was working in a small medical technology company. I wasn't really CEO. You could more call me a director or like I was heading up a department, but it was like I was sometimes alone in the apartment. But I was writing business plan, getting investment. You know, I would write a business plan. We get 5 million euro for some project. But I gradually got sick. The desk was too high. The chair too low. I've had a posture problem since I was a teenager and suddenly sitting so much, I had never sat so much. Even as a CEO, I was always on the move, going to meetings. And suddenly I had this job where I'm just like writing business plan all day or it made me sick. I was starting to get headaches on Fridays and then Thursday, Friday, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I realized something is seriously wrong. I went to doctors and the first doctors were not so helpful. They're like, oh yeah, you just have muscle pain. And I'm like, no this is more serious. And I went from doctor to doctor. And finally, they told me to stay at home. And I was seven months, seven months, I was home, I could not sit on the computer, even just 10 minutes and moving the mouse, I would get pain. And that really is a wake up call. (laughs) You know, if anyone needs a wake up call like that. So that was the first thing I was fired for being sick. So I was not going back to that job. I was like, Okay, is this the time to start a company, but when you are sick, I was like, oh, can I start a company when I'm sick? So I got another job where I could work from home. And I'm like, oh, I like it. I like working from home. So I was, you know, it's almost like I'm making these steps towards entrepreneurship without jumping yet. And then I lost that job because I was giving them advice to fire me, basically, because I was too expensive employee. And then I knew this was time. It was very scary. And I did go to the unemployment office. I got unemployment benefits and I felt horrible about it. I'm like, oh, you can't do that. And I'm like, I've been working all these years. Of course I deserve it. And at the unemployment office, the guys told me, you are unemployable. You've been a CEO. You have four master's degrees. Nobody's going to hire you. So it wasn't like a negative shock, it was like a positive shock. I'm like, oh, Okay, nobody's going to hire me. Well, then I got to do something about my dream of entrepreneurship. And so they supported me. There was a special startup course for unemployed people and they paid for that. And they, I got a couple of months like support after the course was finished to start my business. And I must give the Swiss government credit for like that's an amazing program for someone who is not going to get a job anyway. And so I started off, but you know the start was not easy, I must say, because I had no idea what my business should be about. I was thinking, should I write travel books? Should I do photography? Should I do business consulting? You know, Write some business plans? And it was all not feeling exciting to me. And I needed a lot more time. And I think I wish I would have hired a business coach at this time. I was just trying to figure it out. It took me about 18 months to finally realized that I want to be a business coach. I don't want to write business plans for other people and hope they implement them. I want to be there to coach them through it. So January 2014, about one and a half years after I lost my job, then I was like, okay, this is it. It took me another three months to have my first $180 because I was going to charge per hour 180. Way too low when I think about it now. It took me nine months you know, October 2014, I had my first 10K month right after I hired a business coach. So I could have saved 18 months plus nine months if I had gotten some help. I thought, oh, I was a CEO for 10 years. I have an MBA, you know, but it's very hard to help yourself. So for anyone listening, just get help or join a program. Like, I don't necessarily believe you need a one-on-one coach anymore because you know I have created programs myself that are group coaching. You know, there's a people doing the same thing together. I think that's even more powerful than individual coaching where you are sitting alone between sessions. I'm like, oh, getting all those doubts now. When people have doubts, they go into a Facebook group. I'm like, ah, I'm stuck or something, and immediately within five minutes, someone replies to your question. So. That I find even the better method today. But yeah, that was, it was hard in the beginning. And also the comments my husband got from his friends, wasn't your wife a CEO? What is he doing now? Like I was sitting at home. Nobody sees what I'm doing, posting on social media, something. And they're like, is he trying to be a social media influencer? Wasn't he a CEO? <laughs> That's an interesting experience. You get like, oh, shouldn't I be trying this? I love that. So I know that some of the other things that you focus
2: on is helping women learn how to scale and build their businesses. And so I want to ask if anybody out there is listening and they're thinking about wanting to start an online business, which I'm sure many people over the last 12 months are finding themselves in maybe the exact spot that you found yourself at the time that you were making this transition. And so talk to us a little bit about that. If there's anyone out there who's like, gosh, I want to start an online business. I want to do that because I've been working from home for the last year and I want to start an online business. What are sort of your top three tips that you might give them to help push them in that right direction?
0: So the first thing people should do is, to sell something as quickly as possible. The mistake I made and the mistake I made was also because I learned something different was like, oh, you need an email list and you need to create something free, giveaway through your list. This gets people stuck for months and they don't sell anything. And so therefore they have no clients. And if you don't have any clients, you don't actually know what they want. So a lot of people are starting to do something like even blog or post on social media without a client. So your first client is someone you know already now. We think in online business, our first clients are going to be some stranger, even in a different country, but that's not the case. Online business in the beginning feels like traditional business, really. You may do some posting on social media or do something like that online, but Essentially, your first client is someone that already trusts you or or a friend of a friend. You know, someone is referring you. So I say to people, let's say want to start and they want to scale this quickly and they don't want to lose 18 months and another nine months, figure out who you want to help and what do you want to help them with and just make a guess. It's like a thesis. If we think of university, you have a guess. You can do this within a day. You're just like, okay, who do I want to help? And I'm like, I want to help women who want to start a business. Let's say, okay. And then how do I want to help them? I want to help them find their true passion and the right business idea. Okay, we have both. We have the ideal client and we have a potential, the solution to a problem they have. First time you do it, it's a complete guess. And people say, how do I know if it's correct? Nobody knows until you try it. It's a beta, it's research. So you go out and say, are you a female entrepreneur that they're trying to start your business, but you don't know what your business idea should be? I am looking for 10 women This is as easy as it is. Now, the first clients are not clients. They're not going to pay you. You get three people not paying you. They're going to give you feedback and testimonial. You maybe say, this is a six-session program. So after six weeks or four weeks or whatever you want to do, you can do this so fast. Let's say you do four sessions in four weeks with these three people for free. You ask for feedback. What could you have done better? Testimonial. Hopefully get three testimonials. And, you know, if you want to be safe, you do five people and not three or 10 people and not three. But that's it. So then you do exactly the same thing. But now you charge. I'm looking for female entrepreneurs who want to start their own business and don't know how to get started. Duh, duh, duh. I am offering special discount on my one-on-one sessions, you know, 50% off. And then the next time you do it, there's no 50% off. Now you've had three paying clients. And now you can start to do your email list, your freebie, and all that stuff that all the online marketeers are trying to tell you you have to do first. And I say, no, you have to make sales. And this is just the first step. Now you want to quickly create an online course. If you had talked to me seven years ago, I would have said, oh, you have to do one-on-one for a long time before you know it. No, I teach my clients. The first thing you want to do is to go straight into an online course. Again, you make a thesis, who is my ideal client, but then you actually talk to them. We teach them how to do a survey. Then we pick three people for an interview. And based on what the people tell you, you create a course around that. In one of my programs, I suggest that the course is free. Again, free four-week course. People get 100 signups, 200. We had recently when we did this, someone had 1,400 signups. Her email list went from zero to fourteen hundred. This is the fastest way to grow when you offer massive value to people and you can absolutely start your business this way. We are seeing people go from zero to making 10K in 10 weeks by thinking constantly like, okay, I have to be clear on ideal client, but I'm going to test it. I'm going to ask. I'm going to see. Don't create something and hope someone will buy it. Don't create the freebie and, or start even to blog. Maybe nobody wants to read it.
1: This is so reminiscent of so much of our early journey. And even back when I used to work in game design and I worked at a startup creating physical fitness games for kids and same thing, we spent so long creating just a business plan. Like what is this company? What is this game going to be? Okay. What's the first level going to be? What are the achievements going to be? Just writing it out. With no clients, no sales, no product. And then we got a coach and they told us, no, you have to switch and create an MVP, a minimum viable product. All right. and so we switched and we did that and it changed the entire business model. And same with what we're currently doing at Good Egg Investments. You know, the first time that we launched a course, we followed all the traditional advice. We built the list, we built the course first, we did all the freebies and the launch and then it was like crickets. And then the second time we did it, we did it completely the other way where we focused on the who first, and then we got their feedback. We created the product around them as you were talking about, but that's so critical as to figure out who you're trying to serve and then figure out the problem that you're trying to help them solve. I think that's such great advice. Yeah, I love this because you basically
2: gave our listeners such a huge gift. You basically just gave them the blueprint to be able to start a business from scratch with no leads. And this is like Annie's saying, a very similar formula to one that we've followed that has allowed us to grow our coaching business into a very big one as well. So I love that. Last question before we move on is I know that so there's the start the business part and then there's the build and then there's the scale. Now I'm curious for any entrepreneur out there who's listening who may already be in the six figure kind of teetering on the seven figure, you know, realm, what is your advice for anyone who is trying to get from the six figure to the seven figure? What's maybe the number one thing that you see holding people back from really moving into that seven figure realm?
0: Well, it's thinking that you have to be everywhere and do everything I think it's often the personal you know like I am so needed you know I am the coach here all the coaching calls have to be with me because I'm the best I just had a coaching call earlier today with someone who is exactly in this mode like she's selling like hotcakes but everything is based on her and when I told her you have to start to hire other coaches and it's like how is that possible and I'm like it is possible but The problem is in your head, not that it's not possible. So I would say to someone also who's thinking like the biggest shift for me and my clients, because I have also programs for women who are aiming for seven figures, is having a good ascension model. And ascension model is is basically having a customer journey. So I have different programs And in the first program, that's my main program. That's like the one I launch. You know, I have these big launches, run Facebook ads, and I get people in. And then I have four other programs where I don't have to run any ads, no marketing. It costs me zero to have another client. So just recently, we did an internal launch like that. 30% bought the next program, even though the next program was the same price, like it was not a cheaper program, like it was another $3,000, they bought the $3,000 program, and then they bought another $3,000 program. That is free money, because I spent no effort, really, on selling this. It's literally the next step. Because it's such a logical next step, it's very easy to sell. Like, why would they take the next step. And then after this program, there is another one, that's a $15,000 one. And then there's another one and that's 35,000. So, when you have an ascension model, you are saving a lot of money on marketing costs. It's about costs about 27 times more to get a new client versus keeping one. So, we focus a lot on retention. And all the programs are scalable except my high-end mastermind where I have only 10 women which I run completely on my own. Everything else is scalable. Even my group coaching programs are scalable. So I can be there two or three hours a month, but the rest is other coaches and mentors. I have mentors and coaches in all my programs. I have program managers. So it's like in a bigger company, even though my company is maybe not that big, I have someone running each program. So I'm not like that involved anymore. And that's how you scale. Like you basically take yourself out of the equation. And the best proof was a few weeks ago, I was sick for six weeks and my business kept on running. We didn't do a big launch. It was exactly between launches. I was like, oh, that was good because in launches, it is my face out there on social media and stuff like that, but it kept on running. We didn't have to postpone anything. Well, podcast interviews, obviously, but the rest kept on running.
2: I love that. That's something that Annie and I just came off of Tony Robbins. I don't know if you're a Tony Robbins fan or familiar with him, but we just attended Business Mastery where we learned a lot about how to transition from being a business operator to being a business owner, which is exactly what you're speaking to. So, Love that. So many good tips in there. We'll have to bring you back on the show to talk about all of this, you know, kind of the next level stuff, not just the starting it, but, you know, the next level. What happens after you scale and what happens after you leave? And, you know, how does that transition look to being an owner? So much good stuff in all of that. All right. We're going to move on to the last part of our show, the Life and Money Show Spotlight. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design?
0: I have finally done a huge upgrade. And it's interesting because I've had a seven-figure business for over four years. So it's not like I haven't had the money, but I'm finally taking money out of the business beyond my salary. I've always paid myself a salary. I don't pay myself from profit. And I've taken money out and bought a penthouse and I rented out my previous property where I still had a mortgage, but I paid off the mortgage, paid off my student loans. I suddenly, I had like, I had regular debts. There was no bad debt, but I had these regular mortgage and student loan debts and I didn't even consider paying them down, which is kind of a weird, I think I suddenly had this COVID, I think helped this wake up call, like let's be debt free. So I paid off all my debts personal debts. I started a real estate company and put my apartment that I already owned into it. And then I bought a penthouse and I rented out the old apartment to the Indian embassy in Iceland. I got a very solid, you know, someone to pay the rent. That's very good. And then I'm in this penthouse and I left all my furniture. It was a 20 year old apartment. And you know, what I could buy for myself 20 years old is not maybe what I want to have in my apartment today. So I thought, if I rent it to an embassy, they're going to want it with the furniture. So I left everything in the apartment. And I'm like, no, I'm forced to buy everything new. And I didn't just go and buy new. Intentionally, I go and buy pieces. Like I'm not holding back in anything. I'm like, this is my dream sofa. I have to wait three months and it costs this. Yeah, doing it. I'm waiting. I got a mirror. Finally, I waited four months for a mirror in my bathroom that if I move my hand below the mirror, the light goes on. If I hold it below, it goes, you know, brighter or darker. That's the kind of like building this luxury me And I'm seeing the efforts of my work in my home. There's art piece behind me that is custom made. You know, my friends would probably think it's crazy how much money I paid for it. You know, it's for the acoustic. So it's, it's Icelandic wool. And they only had it in boring colors. And I said, I wanted it fiercely red. Oh, it really have to custom make it for you. And that's an extra $1,500. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. I'm becoming a new person somehow because I'm like, I'm truly enjoying this. And I couldn't have done this a few years ago. I felt like everything's expensive. And I don't know, this is massive for me.
2: Yeah. Having that mindset shift is so huge because I think all too often, sometimes people think, you know, I work hard, I work hard. And then they get into this like scarcity mindset, like I can't spend, or that's too much, or I would never buy a, you know, a Ferrari, or I would never shop at like XYZ store. When you let yourself free and you let yourself enjoy, this is like the part that you work so hard for. And you never know when the last day is going to be tomorrow or the next day, you never know how long you have. And if you work so hard, you never give your chance, to, you know yourself a chance to really enjoy. So I love that. I love that so much because I think it's really important to remind people to get out there and really enjoy life because you're not can't take it with you. So I love. No. love and
0: the that. most, and the thing that I'm most excited about, and the reason I wanted a penthouse, I'm getting a hot tub. Nice. <laughs> there we <I, laughs> go. go. Hot tub, and especially in Iceland where it's cold most of the year, yeah. we yeah. love hot yeah. tubs. Hot water is cheap yeah. and. I was like, can I have a hot tub in a city? And I'm like, if it's a penthouse and you have your own rooftop and I'm like, and even before I bought the apartment, I was like, is it certain that I can install a hot tub here? And yes, there's even pre-installed the heating element. So I'm like, yes. And I'm like, (laughs) dream come true. Nice. Nice.
2: Love it. Love it. All right, second question is around others' life and money. So, what is one life or money hack that you can share that will make an impact in others' lives right now?
0: Getting help. I think I mentioned it before, and that's any type of help. Like, even though I have now the money to buy all this nice furniture, I hadn't hired a cleaner and I'm like, I'm quite embarrassed. Like, and then the cleaner comes in, I'm like, I'm going to make everything nice for you. I'm going to clean everything. I know it's such a simple thing. But I truly believe the help you can get on a personal level is going to make your business thrive. So I think the cleaner is the first hire, but then, you know, any type of business coach, I guess for some people, it might be a mindset coach, team coach, just getting help just yeah. don't to get help and probably invest in help sooner than you think you need it.
2: Oh yeah, love that advice. Annie and I are huge fans of, you know, getting coached and we're also coaches as well, but you know, we certainly would have taken us a lot longer I think to get where we were trying to go had we not done that very early on. So I love that. All right, last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place?
0: So my mission is to accelerate gender equality through female entrepreneurship. I did start a fund in covid times That was my first tryout with that. You know, I did it within the company. I didn't do a separate, like a nonprofit. I had some good and bad experiences around it. Like a lot of people applying that didn't need the money. So I was like, oh, I got to outsource this to some professionals. So the next fund I will create will be around investments into female-led companies around the world. And then I'm planning my first conference. I've had to postpone it twice And that is to inspire more women to build wealth. And I want them to do it through starting their own businesses. I know there are multiple ways how you can create wealth. But if you look at gender equality, the way the World Economic Forum measures it, it's around health, education, and opportunity to get a job. And I'm like, where is the wealth piece? Because if women always have less wealth, we have less power. You can see it with lawsuits, for instance, I've actually donated to women who were, you know, had to go through a lawsuit and have to pay some men money that, you know, because they said something and did something and the women didn't have money, but the men did. And so women are often in a worse situation because they cannot defend themselves. And I loved what uh, Oprah did with her Time's Up fund. So along those lines, I might have a fund that I will not talk about, you know, so that might be a, like my secret fund, because sometimes these causes will not be public and I may not want to do public or share publicly who I'm funding there, but it's women who just cannot, you know, defend themselves in a lawsuit. And then the other part is the investing in in companies and, and just women, you know, even over in Africa, you know, how can we educate more girls? So more women can be entrepreneurs and how can we make this a more equal world?
1: Well, you are such an inspiration and doing such important work to empower women and girls all around the world. So Sigrun, tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about all that you're doing.
0: So the best way to get to know me is to listen to The Sigrun Show. I have a podcast with over 400 episodes. I share everything in my business I'm very transparent about also my revenue and profits and everything. I really want women to learn and get the reality check on what it takes to build a seven-figure business. And then over on my website, Sigrun.com.
1: Sigrun, leading business mentor for female online entrepreneurs in Europe, TEDx speaker and host of The Sigrun Show podcast. Sigrun, thank you so much for being here with us and our listeners today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
2: You've been listening to The Life & Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life & Money Show community on Facebook.
1: And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.